Welcome to Simple Truth, the teaching ministry of Pastor Eddie Turner and Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Through the practical and simple explanation of God's Word, Pastor Eddie has taught the Word of God to thousands of people around the world. The following message is from a recent service at Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Let's join Pastor Eddie as he shares simple truths from God's Word. Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be reading beginning. We're going to go to several scriptures this morning. I have 35 minutes, so let's, boy, in the second service we get to dedicate, one of my favorite things, we get to dedicate four babies to the Lord. Our church is growing, hallelujah. We got some fertile people in our church. Four babies, we're going to dedicate them to the Lord. Romans chapter 12, verse number 10. Let's begin reading. Be devoted to one another in love. I'm reading out of the NIV. Paul's talking here. And then he says, honor one another above yourselves. Then he says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Number 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This wonderful section of Scripture is a favorite of mine because as a man, as a man, it gives us action commands. It tells us what to do. Over the years, as Amanda and I talk, there seems at times that she goes, she takes the scenic route to a conversation. She goes a long way around to get to the point. How many of you men know what I'm talking about? In fact, there have been times I've said, well, just tell me what you want me to do. Tell me what you want fixed, and I'll get it done. And I never will forget that she taught me a valuable lesson during one of those conversations when I said, just tell me what you want done, and I'll get it fixed. And she said, I don't want you to do anything. I just want to talk, and I want you to listen. (laughs) Now, that's a difficult assignment for a man. (laughs) That's why I like this passage of Scripture, because it tells us what to do. Notice what it says. Be devoted to one another. Be devoted to one another. In other words, be tenderly affectioned to one another. Then it says, honor one another. Esteem. That word honor means to esteem as valuable. Each person. Then it says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. I wondered if you was going to be doing that this morning, losing an hour of sleep. But it appears like you are not lacking in zeal this morning. Then he says, be joyful in hope. Then he tells us to be patient in affliction. That's a hard one for me. I don't know about you. If I'm afflicted, I want it over with. Okay, let's do this suffering thing. Let's do it fast and let's go on. 
Be faithful in prayer. Then he says, share with God's people who are in need. We get, we get, we get responses every week from people in the community who do not attend here and want us to help them with electric bills and, and rent and things of that nature. We just don't, we can't do that. But anybody in our church that's in dire need, we help them. We're fulfilling the scripture. Share with people, God's people, who are in need. Then notice what he says, practice hospitality. Now that doesn't mean just have your family over. In fact, that word hospitality is very unique. It means to entertain and have a love for strangers. The hospitality is not just for people you know. It's for people you don't know. I was reading uh, something this week. I'm always studying how we can reach better and touch this generation. And uh, I was reading something this week that a lot of the new church plants, because they're younger people, they grow at a faster rate. And the main reason why is that younger couples, younger people, the younger generation, they are still trying to find their network. So they're constantly inviting, talking, reaching out to people. Older people, you've already got your network. In fact, well, let me ask you, when was the last time you invited someone new to church? Now, you'll call your family, and you'll call your kids, and you'll call your grandkids, and you'll call your sister, maybe a neighbor that you've known for 20 or 30 years. Hey, say, won't you come to church with us? But when was the t- last time you invited someone new to church? See, that's what this scripture is talking about. Practice hospitality. It's not talking about having people over to eat because you like to cook. That's wonderful and that's great. But this hospitality means to have a love for strangers, for others as well. Then it says, bless those who persecute you. That word persecute there means those who pursue you with the intention of driving you away. And then he says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. That word harmony means be like-minded. Same, have the same mind. And to be mindful of them. Live in harmony with one another. And then he says, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. He says, don't be conceited. That word conceited means wise in yourself thinking you've got all the answers and you're smarter than everybody else. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. In other words, he's not saying be a man pleaser. He's saying live a life of integrity. Be truthful. Be honest. If you say you're going to do something, do it. If you make a commitment financially, fulfill the commitment financially. And then he finishes up with this one. If it is possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Isn't that amazing what he says? If it's as possible, as far as it depends on you. It might not always be a good relationship, but on your end, as far as you're concerned, (coughs) it's a good relationship. You can't control the actions of someone else, but you can control your own actions. Now, we have three words at FWC that kind of... Uh, details, shares who we are. And one of them's behind me. Doesn't that look good? Believe. We believe in God the Father, Jesus the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit revealed in the Holy Scriptures, the Bible. 
One of those words is believe. The next word is belong. We honor our community of faith. We honor one another. And we desire to grow in relationship with Christ and each other. In fact, you can't really be a Christian unless you're doing those two things. Growing in relationship with Him and growing in relationship with one another. And then the third word that we really stress around here is the word serve. We are compelled... We are compelled to serve our generation by doing good works and being a witness for Christ. And during 2016, most of the messages, the teachings, the lessons you're going to hear are going to be revolving around those three words. Believing, belonging, and serving. And if in 2016, if we believe faithfully, we belong lovingly, and we serve diligently, we will accomplish everything God has for us this year, both personally and corporately, as a body of believers. And today I want us to look at the second word, and an ingredient of the second word, the belonging part. If we're going to belong lovingly in any relationship, whether it's a marriage, a family... A team, a club, a small group, a work cohort, or even a church family. We must learn to be disagreeable in an agreeable way. You're not going to take a church this size and double this in the second service and a few more. You're not going to take a church this size and expect everybody to agree on everything all the time. It's just not going to happen. Over the years, my heart has been grieved to watch families, friends, teams, and wonderful church congregations sever and divide because they were unable to adequately manage conflict in their relationship. I've seen families divide, churches divide, partnerships divide. Because they were unable to manage the conflict. The conflict wasn't that big. The issue wasn't that difficult. But they didn't know how to manage conflict. Now here's something you and I must always understand. Satan promotes conflict and division. This is what he longs to do. Peace and unity are essential in being effective witnesses for Christ. Peace and unity. In fact, when peace and unity characterize your relationships with other people, you show that God is present in our life. What does Scripture say? The song says, by our love they will know we are Christians. They will know we are Christians by our love. So when peace and unity characterize your relationship with other people, it's an effective witness of Jesus Christ. Let me show it to you from Scripture. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Very familiar passage of Scripture. Matthew chapter 5. Verse number 9 is that passage where Jesus is teaching. And it's we refer to it as the Beatitudes. And one of them says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of who? Children of God are known as peacemakers. Now listen to me, some of you. I've been watching you on Facebook. Let me talk to you as your pastor. And this election thing, you're stirring it up. You're not making peace. That doesn't mean you can't have a strong opinion and conviction, but don't be, don't be 
dividing people. Don't be dividing people. Notice what it says. Blessed are the peacemakers because they shall be called the children of God. Notice he didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. Well, I don't want to get involved. Well, that's not, I just want to keep peace. Well, you're not, that's not a witness of the children of God. That's a witness of a coward. (laughs) Notice he didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. For the peacemakers, in other words, I'm going to engage, but I'm going to engage with peace. The peacemakers shall be called the children of God. Notice one of the last prayers Jesus prayed before his death, burial, and resurrection. Look at John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse 20. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So he's praying for us. I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent us. Verse 22, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience. Now he's praying for us because we're the ones who believe the message that he gave the apostles. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. See, one of the characteristics to this world, one of the characteristics to your, to your workplace, to your cohorts, to your peers, to your family members, is when all hell is breaking loose and drama is running rampant in the office, you walk in peace. Amen. And you make peace. And the Bible says, then the world will know that you have sent me. Now, since peace and unity are essential to effective Christian witness, understand there is one who will do all he can to promote conflict and division within any meaningful relationship or community. And his name is Satan. He'll do everything he can to disrupt unity. His name means adversary, and he likes nothing better than to see us at odds with one another. He likes nothing better than us to get at odds with one another. We must understand that Satan is not the blame of all conflict. He's not the blame of all conflict. We must take responsibility for our own sins and our own failures. But Satan, when he sees it, he'll promote it and add fuel to it. Satan prefers that we don't see his role in our conflicts. He wants us to see only other people as the adversary. That's why we're always looking for people to blame. When something goes wrong, we want to find out who's at fault. Understand, that's Satan promoting that. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the one that's promoting and fueling all type of division and conflict. Now, Paul warned us against this. It's not always, always Satan. It might be you, but Satan don't want you to realize that. Notice what he says in Ephesians 6.12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We're not fighting against people, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Listen to me, friends. This election we've got coming up, this is, not a, this is a spiritual warfare that's taking place. 
This is a spiritual warfare. You and I as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to spend more time in our prayer calls and interceding for our nation than we do chatting about who, what a candidate's going to do the best. See, Because this is all spirit. We're not fighting flesh and blood. We're not fighting Cruz and Trump and Rubio and Kasich and and Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. We're not fighting the Democrats and the Republicans. This is spiritual for the very soul of our nation. Satan doesn't want you to understand that. He wants to turn our attention on individuals. I never will forget several years ago, I had one of my relatives, close relative, uh, came to see Amanda and I. And it was a lady. And she came to see us. And, and we noticed she had a, a bruise on her eye. And uh, we said, what happened? Well, I fell, I fell, I fell. We thought that was unusual because we're fairly close and she never mentioned falling. We know, normally know a lot. She never mentioned that. She didn't say nothing. She was very kind of, wasn't the same all weekend. Then come to find out two or three weeks later, as things got worse, that her husband had been beating her. And when I found out, I just went off. I know I'm not supposed to. I know, I know we're not fighting with flesh and blood, but sometimes it makes your flesh and blood feel better to go off. I may know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Like we used to say, I know about 12 old boys over in Allgood who take you out 12 miles and string you up 12 feet and how to take care of a lot of things, you know. But that's flighting flesh and blood. Plus, it'll get you thrown in jail. And uh, so when I finally found this out, I called this man, her husband, and I went off. I was screaming on the phone. He was screaming at me. He hung up. I called him back. He answered. He started swearing at me. I screaming back at him. I didn't swear in Jesus' name. But I was screaming, telling him how terrible he was. Couldn't believe he'd done this. He knew better than this. Just a bunch of hollering and shouting. He hung up. I called him back. He started swearing at me. I hung up. This went on about about an hour, four or five phone calls. Just crazy, acting crazy. And it didn't solve anything. And the next day, as I was praying, I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. They live in another city. He's not listening to me. He's gone off his rocker. He's acting in a way he's never acted before. What do I need to do about this? And in prayer, the Lord showed me. I mean, had one of those many visions where all of a sudden I saw him coming to the door of their house, coming in from work. And I saw her stand at the door and say to him, I rebuke that spirit that's working in you, in Jesus' name. And I saw him get instantly delivered. So that afternoon, when I called, I talked to her early afternoon. I said, how's he doing? Well, we were fussing this morning. He was threatening me again. I said, here's what I want you to do. I said, when he comes, she said, do you think I need to leave? I said, here's what you need to do. When he walks in, as he comes through that threshold this afternoon. You meet him at the door. You put your finger in his face and you say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke that spirit that's working in you. She said, he'll haul off and hit me. I said, I'm telling you, this is what the Lord showed me. She said, you promise me? 
I said, I promise you. Of course, it's easy for me, 100 miles away. I said, I, I can just tell you what the Lord showed me. I wouldn't tell you this if I didn't think it was the Lord. She said, well, we've tried everything else. I said, okay. She said, if it doesn't work, I'm packing my bags. I'm leaving tomorrow when he goes to work. I said, you do what you got to do. So it was about, he comes in about 5 o'clock. It was about 6 o'clock. My phone rings. And she said, Eddie, you're not going to believe what happened. I said, what happened? She said, I did exactly what you said. I heard him pull in the driveway. I've been praying all afternoon. I stood at the front door, and as soon as the door opened and he walked in, I pointed my finger at him. I said, stop. I rebuke that spirit that's working in you in Jesus' name. And she said, immediately, he fell out in the spirit in the front door. Fell out in the spirit in the front door. True story, in a man? Fell out in the spirit in the front door. The spirit of God filled the house. They started praying. He started repenting, started crying. Reconciliation, repentance took place, and they're still together this day, doing better than they ever have done. Because we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but principality and power and might. The early church understood that Satan will do everything in his power to promote conflict. Do you realize that in every epistle in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit through the writers give commandments to the church to live at peace with one another? The Holy Spirit through the writers of the New Testament inspired every writer to command their audience, their church, their group to live at peace with one another. Let me give you an example. Romans 15.5, Paul talking to the Romans. He says, may God who gives the patience and encouragement help you to live in complete harmony with each other. 1 Corinthians, Paul talking to the Corinthians, another nation, another group. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Go to Colossians, the book of Colossians, the church at Colossae, another nation, another church. Chapter 3, verse 13. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Here's what I've learned. Mature Christians... Rejoice in the diversity that God has given to His people. And they realize that believers can legitimately hold differences of opinions. When those differences rub us, uh, rob us of harmony and peace among ourselves, we must learn to confront that conflict biblically. As believers, mature believers, I understand, you're not always going to agree with me. I'm not always going to agree with you. You're going to have taste. You're going to have preferences. I'm going to have taste. I'm going to have preferences. And when that robs us of our harmony, there is a biblical way to deal with conflict. See, the problem is most of us have a distorted view of conflict. Most of us think negative when we hear about or become engaged in conflict or confrontation. We don't like it. 
Behavior therapists, Dr. Mike Courtney, they've discovered that most of us have a default tendency for responding to conflict and criticism. We'll just default to it. Those two major default tendencies are fight or flight. When somebody disagrees with us or something, we're either going to bow up and fight about it or we're going to run away. We're going to flight, fight or flight, escape. We find ourselves facing conflict. We either bow up and view it as a war to win or we decide to escape and not deal with it. And those responses occur because we see all conflict as negative and bad. But the Bible... Listen, the Bible does not teach that all conflict is bad. Instead, it teaches that some differences are natural and beneficial. God has created each one of us as unique individuals with different opinions, different convictions, different desires, different perspectives and priorities. Many of these differences are not inherently right or wrong. They are simply the result of God-given diversity and personal preference. (laughs) For example... I was having lunch with a fellow the other day, and I told him the place that we were eating had some of the best squash that I'd ever tasted. And I encouraged him to order the squash. He looked at me and said, I can't stand squash. And then he ordered cucumbers and onions. I gag at the smell of cucumbers and onions. That got us talking about other food preferences. And he said he loved cauliflower. I'd rather eat cardboard than cauliflower. And I told him I like beets. He said he can't stand beets. They remind him of a blood clot. Now we're both good guys, but have entirely different preferences when it comes to vegetables. Neither taste is wrong other than the blood clot. They're just different. They're just different. May I share something with you? So many of the people I respect the most today are individuals whom I've had disagreements and conflicts with, but we properly managed the conflict and developed a stronger relationship because of it. When we learn to manage conflict properly... We stimulate conversation, we encourage creativity, and we produce helpful change. We should seek unity in relationships, now listen, but not demand uniformity. I think we would be amazed to realize how much our conflicts with each other are brought about by personal preference, perspectives, and priorities instead of central issues that are eternal in value. I can't tell you the number of families I've had to referee fights over who were at odds and had conflict and not speaking and divided over coffee tables, cats, pictures Granny had left, and who gets to decide what kind of music will be sung at Granddaddy's funeral. You'd be surprised at the people who divide themselves over such temporal things. See, sometimes the conflict is not neutral or beneficial. In fact, the Bible teaches that our conflicts with each other sometimes are the result of sinful motives and behaviors. 
Let me prove it to you from Scripture. Turn with me to James chapter 4. Everybody still here? James chapter 4. Notice what the Holy Spirit through the writer James says. What is causing the quarrels, fights, we would say conflicts and and contention and division among you? What's causing it? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, so you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Listen, when a conflict is the result of sinful desires, when a conflict is the result of sinful desires and actions, which are too serious to overlook, we need to deal with them in a straightforward manner. Look what it says. Jesus taught this. Matthew chapter 18. There's nothing wrong with confrontation if you do it right. If another believer sins against you, this is what Jesus says, if another believer sins against you, you privately, privately, everybody say privately. doesn't say if another believer sins against you, you get on the phone and call everybody. It says if another believer sins against you, you privately point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won the person back. Though most of us do not like confrontation, loving confrontation is often the key to repentance. If done properly, confrontation can remove the root cause of the conflict and open the door for peace and harmony in the relationship. Jesus had a lot to say about resolving conflict. Look at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. Notice what it says. One of his very... Special teachings on this. Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Some have interpreted this teaching as forbidding to confront others about their faults. But if you read it carefully, it does not forbid confrontation. Rather, it forbids premature and improper confrontation. Before you talk to others about their faults, it would be wise to face up to your own. And once you have dealt with your contribution to the conflict, you may approach others about their contribution to the conflict. See, it takes two sides to argue. So what Jesus is saying, you get the log out of your eye, what you did to help contribute to this conflict, you get that right first. And then you go approach other people about what they've done to contribute to the conflict. Now in the next five minutes, can I share with you what I believe to be the number one ingredient for resolving conflict and living in harmony with either your husband, your wife, your children, your peer at work, your church family, your families. Let me share with you the number one ingredient. Learn to overlook minor offenses. Just learn to overlook minor offenses. When we overlook the wrongs that others commit against us, we are imitating God's extraordinary forgiveness toward us. 
Since God does not deal harshly with us every time we sin. And aren't you glad He doesn't? We should be willing to treat others in the same fashion. While this does not mean that we overlook all sins, it does require that we make every effort to overlook insequential wrongdoing. Some of you walk around looking for somebody to say the wrong thing. And they don't have to say it. They just look wrong at you. And you get offended. See, the problem is not what other people are doing. The problem is you've got some issues in your life that you need to work on. See? And I know I got to that place in my life. I was so angry. I felt so wounded. I felt so mistreated by things that had happened and the circumstances. My wife would tell me. She tells me now, Eddie, don't you remember how angry you were? And I'll look back at it and nobody could please me. Nobody could make me happy. Nobody could do it right. I wasn't going to be satisfied with anybody and or anything because it was my issue I was struggling with. And I had forgot this one issue, to learn to overlook minor offenses. Listen, look at Proverbs chapter 19, verse number 11. Proverbs 19, 11, now the New Living Translation. Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrong. Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. Proverbs 17, 14. Starting a quarrel is like opening a floodgate. So stop before the dispute breaks out. Just say, we're not going there. It doesn't make any difference. I don't care what she said. How many times have somebody come home, one of your spouses come home, husband or wife or kids come home, they did this, they said this to me. And if you're not careful, you'll just add fuel to that fire. Why don't you just say, don't worry about it. Don't pay it any attention. Go on, that's probably having a bad day. And if they wasn't having a bad day, if they really meant it, it doesn't need to affect your life. Let's go on. It doesn't determine who we are. Go on. Overlook wrongdoings. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 in the New Testament. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. When they call you on the phone and say, do you hear what he said to me? It doesn't make any difference. Do you hear what they said? It doesn't make any difference. Love covers a multitude of sins. I'll finish with this one. Psalm 103 verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. He does not deal harshly with us. It seems like sometimes we live in such pent-up stress and so angry and are so mad that if everybody don't do exactly what we want them to do, say what we want them to say, act the way we want them to act, that all of a sudden now we are just mad at the world. And the Bible says sensible people learn to overlook and that people who do not deal harshly with others every time they make a mistake is simply imitating Christ and His love for us. 
Listen, we don't want to keep up with the record. We don't want to weigh it out. If you and I get judged for every mistake we make, we don't want that. We want mercy. We want grace. We want forgiveness. How many of you pray every day, Lord, if I've done anything, forgive me. If I failed you today, forgive me. We pray that every day. But how many times do we go to bed at night saying, Lord, I forgive anybody who said anything to me today. I forgive anybody who did anything to me today. We pray it. We ask it. We want it from our Father. But sometimes we're slow to give it to other people. So overlook minor wrongs. If we're going to belong... We've got to learn to disagree in an agreeable way. Thank you for listening to The Simple Truth with Pastor Eddie Turner. Please join us at Family Worship Center, 3045 Memorial Boulevard, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, when you are in the Middle Tennessee area. You can also learn more about FWC at our website, www.familywc.com. Thank you again for listening to The Simple Truth.